0: Welcome to Teaching and Learning with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy, a podcast supported by Governor State University's Center for Community Media. I am Dr. Amy Viaclia,
1: Director of Educator Preparation. And I am Dr. Joy Patterson, Chief Diversity Officer. In our podcast, we talk about a range of topics such as historical and cultural identities, community engagement, restorative justice, collaboration, and leadership. We aspire to elevate the
0: profession through conversations with classroom teachers, school support personnel, administrators, parents,
1: and students. Our podcast addresses issues through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion, along with takeaways for us to grow as educators,
0: and of course, as learners so let's get into it
1: hello dr joy hello dr amy how are you
0: i i don't even know what to say how exciting is it that we are having a conversation
1: about small school districts Uh we haven't really talked about small school districts before No, we haven't. I actually came from a small university, similar to small districts. And just because it's a small district doesn't mean that it doesn't have the volume. And when I say volume, I can't tell you how many hats I wore. You know, so that was one of the benefits of being at a small institution. You know, I don't know if that's a benefit, but you get to explore a lot. But you wear a lot of hats. At a small institution, but you really become family. And I think for a lot of educators, many of them, we know this, they're small, they're afraid to go to a small district. Those are not the districts that get a lot of attention. So, but I think that there's some misconceptions about going to a small district, and it can be so rewarding and so family oriented when you're part of a small institution.
2: Well, I just
0: want to. Say a word or two about the small school. We were talking to the superintendent and I'm really going to, I'm going to introduce the superintendent in just a moment. But when we were having the conversation, planning this podcast episode, she was wondering, okay, now who is going to be available to join her What other teachers can she bring in to this conversation with us? See, that's a difference. See what I'm saying? It's a family. And she she said, well, I believe second grade takes lunch at 1230. So so so-and-so can join us. What superintendent knows when the second graders go to lunch?
1: Yes. And all the teachers' names.
0: Exactly. (laughs) How... How great was that? So I just had to say that before I introduced this superintendent, we're going to be talking to Dr. Nicole Terrell-Smith, who is the superintendent of Pembroke Township. She was born and raised in Chicago and has been a Kankakee County resident for 17 years. Receiving her bachelor's and master's degrees with a chief school business officials endorsement from Governor State University, she went on to pursue a doctorate in educational leadership from the University of St. Francis in Joliet. Dr. Smith has been in school administration since 2008, serving as the human resource manager, assistant business manager, In a special education cooperative and eventually director of business services in hazelcrest school district 152.5 where dr smith was mentored by superintendent dr sheila harrison williams and was eventually promoted to assistant superintendent of schools within the district dr smith was assistant superintendent of the kankakee school district 111 team before being recruited by Pembroke Community Consolidated School District 259 to become superintendent. And Dr. Smith's goal is to assist in rebuilding the vision and hope of Pembroke Township. I wanna also introduce Chiquita Thompson, her first year with the school district as a special education resource teacher. So Ms. Chiquita Thompson is a special education teacher and learning behavior specialist. She has dedicated her life to over 25 years of educating students. She began her career as a childcare provider and tutor for 16 years. She then moved on to be a classroom teacher, teaching third and fourth grade combined for three years in a private school and has been a special education teacher for the past seven years. And this, as I said, is her first year with Pembroke Community Consolidated School District. She attended Governor State University to earn a bachelor's degree in early childhood education with an endorsement in special education. I love this, educating students is truly her calling. Special education is her passion. She believes every student can learn, although each student's path to get there may be a bit different. And also with us, Catherine Kiger, who's in her ninth year with Pembroke and is a second grade teacher. Mrs. Kiger has always wanted to be a teacher, even as a child. Prior to entering the teaching profession, She served our country in the Air Force for four years right after high school. She started her career in education as a substitute teacher and paraprofessional after leaving the Air Force. Mrs. Kiger earned a master's in education in 2010. She is endorsed in elementary education and social science middle school. In 2014, she went on to earn a master's degree in school counseling. Mrs. Kiger is a native of Tankakee County. When uh, the private school in the area closed, she joined the Pembroke family and has taught sixth through eighth grade reading and ELA, kindergarten, and is now the second grade teacher and union president. So Welcome to our podcast.
3: Good morning, good morning, thank you. Good morning or good
1: afternoon, how are you? Good afternoon. Good morning. And welcome, Ms. Kiger, we're so happy that you could join us. Before you came on, Dr. Amy and I, we were talking about working at small institutions. Before Mm -hmm. I came to Governor State University, I was at a small uh, private college. Mm -hmm. And just because it's a small university, A small institution, it doesn't mean that you don't work hard. I think you work harder because you wear so many hats. But we were also talking about the family aspect of it and like you're really in it together because when we were talking to your superintendent, I mean, she knows your name. You know, how many superintendents would know faculty Mm -hmm. and staff name, know the lunch hour? Oh, yeah, at this time, you know. We should be, They should be on break or whatever. So just amazing. Uh, and that's one of the amazing elements. And that's why we wanted to have this conversation with you today, because we're really demystifying a lot of things about s- small districts and how beautiful the relationships that you can develop there and you can really, really grow in a small district. So Dr. Nicole Smith, I want to hear from you, but I want to turn over to Chiquita and uh, Ms. Thompson and Ms. Kiger for a moment because Ms. Thompson, you are you were a veteran teacher before you came over to Pembroke and you could have gone
2: anywhere else.
1: So I am interested in why you came to a district like uh, Pembroke and Ms. Kiger, first I wanna thank you for your service. Thank you. And with all of your accomplishments, you could have gone to many places and yet you two find yourself at Pembroke. Can you talk about what it means for you to be at Pembroke? I would first like to say I grew up in a small
3: school district, just like this one. So it hit home for me. I remember all of my teachers by name from kindergarten all the way to sixth grade. We didn't, we, I didn't have the privilege of having seventh and eighth grade there. But I, re- they were so compassionate. They knew our names. You know, it was it wasn't a whole lot of children there. They just made me feel like I, you know, I I felt confident I could learn. And if I didn't if i wasn't able to learn i could reach out to my teachers and that's how i feel here like these the students that i have encountered all of the students that i have encountered it's a small setting so you know we can we can identify them by their names when we see them you know they're they're confident that we care about them it's not a, a huge setting where there's just the kids are just numbers it's just amazing to me that I'm able to allow these students to, to to help them to feel like I felt growing up. You know, that the teachers care. They know us by name. You know, this is not just a, a huge setting where they just feel like, you know, just a number here. I want to speak to that for a moment. As you
0: said, I know all my teachers' names. I was naming my first and my second, pondering how... It was possible for my first grade teacher to draw such a straight line. Miss Hagen mm-hmm. drew really straight lines. And Miss Priest, whenever she retired, she handed some of my second grade work to my mom to uh that she had. I mean, this I don't wanna say how long ago that was. <laughs> that was a long time ago that I had her in second grade. So I I'm connecting. I mean, that small school experience is really powerful.
2: Yes. It is. It is. What about um, you, Ms. Tiger? Um I'm, I'm right with with Ms. Thompson when she says that because I grew up in Bradley, which is a really it's a small mm-hmm. district. Um, and so I too knew all of my teachers, and most of them knew my parents from outside of the school already. So mm-hmm. I can remember there would be stories when I would come and they would say, oh, I know you. And they would tell some story that they knew from when, you know, I was, you know, a little a kid or, you know, uh, or outside of the school district. And uh, so that was it was just that connection that you're looking for of family. It, it's very hard to do that in a bigger district. When you have so many kids, or there's there's so many groups of of the same age kids, you just don't get that family feeling like you do here, and you get with the small school districts. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I stay. Really, it's my kids. The kids, the kids here. I feel like I'm part of their life for more than just the hours they're here. I hear about their families. I hear about their stories. I hear about what they do afterwards. I know when their parents, you know, they go they go somewhere. I know when they do things. I know when they have, you know, new babies at home. I know all of that because they include me in their family. And so you get that with every kid every year. I feel that way. Um, this year, I've been here long enough that my eighth grader, the eighth graders here, were my first class. And so they still come and they still show me their report cards and they still are in the hall and they still say, hi, and they still say, can I come back to your room? And they, you know, and they look for that connection with you even years later, because it's, they're, they're still their family. They're still my kids uh-huh. I talk about all the time. So I always tell them, you know, I don't care how long you've been out of my room. You're still my kid. And so I still expect you to behave and I still expect you to do well. And I will know if you don't. And I'll tell them that. And I even tell them when you go to high school, I will know if you <laughs> misbehave. I will know if you don't do well and I will find out and I will talk to you. I truly enjoy watching them every year. Like they just, you know, the, the growth they have and what they're going through and the things that you see, they become your kids.
1: They, wow. they truly
2: do. And so um, I'm connected here because it's it's family this is this whole school is family I can hear yeah. it I can yeah. I can hear
1: <laughs> the, I can hear the emotion yeah uh I'm getting emotional here as I'm thinking about Sister Mary Nicholas that was my uh sixth grade teacher in a small school in Chicago and I can remember when I was so heartbroken to find out you know because I thought I was the teacher's pet Mm -hmm. And then I was heartbroken when someone else told me they were the teacher's pet. (laughs) And I was like, it's like she's cheating on me, you know? (laughs) But it's amazing you develop those relationships and they continue to respect you all these years. And I'm sure there's some teachers and administrators from larger districts listening to this and they're saying, hmm, you know, because Mm -hmm. that respect continues and we don't always see that in larger schools. Yes. Dr. Nicole, you came from the industry, you know, so you, you, you bring all of that experience with you. Tell us about your journey to becoming an educator and then finding yourself after, I mean, you've been in some big places and finding yourself in Pembroke. (laughs)
4: Yes, yes. This has been a magnificent journey. Um, I was actually, I grew up in Chicago. I worked downtown at Arthur Anderson for years. My son, when he went to kindergarten, they were, he was being assessed for special education. And there were some other things that I actually saw in the system that I didn't feel were quite right. Um, So I left corporate America to be a stay-at-home mom and volunteer in the school setting. Um, through that journey, because of my experience in corporate, I started seeing some things in the school that I could assist with um, since I was there all day anyway. And then it kind of grew. I got to know the administrators and would just put, okay, hey, how about I train this person for you? Hey, let me go in this classroom and help in this way. And it just continued to grow. In 2006, we actually moved out here to Bourbonnais. Um, Now, my husband is a native of Pembroke um, and his family actually still lives here. He would jokingly say, one day you're gonna be superintendent out there. And I'm thinking, I'm a corporate woman. No, I'm going back to corporate. However, my path continued to get shifted to education in some way. And when I finally embraced the true passion that I had for children in general, then it just took off from there. There are so many roles that people don't know about field of education in general, when you think of education, you think of teachers, but there's so much more that has to be done in order for the organization to fully function and operate. Uh, So I was able to find my niche in the education setting. And because I was in that piece, I was able to learn about all the other components that tied into it and connect all of those pieces Um, So going from a special ed cooperative, I fell in love with grant management. Obviously, somebody recognized it and brought me into the Gen Ed side to help with some some grants there. Now, what's interesting about what the two teachers have said is that I've worked in all three sizes, middle, large and now small. The middle, I got to know a lot of these students, most of the staff. Um, So it was nice when I went to. The next school district that was a larger school district, Kinkakee School District, I felt I had to be in the office at all times. I knew very few staff members, uh, had very little connection directly with the students unless they were athletes. Then I come here to Pembroke. As soon as I walked in the building, the children greeted me, the staff greeted me. I had one young man come up. He's graduating this year. Are you bringing basketball back? That's all I want to know. Are you bringing basketball back? And so it was an immediate you know, reception to being a part of the community from day one. Um, as I walk through the halls as the superintendent, I don't feel like people are like, Shh, here she comes, which is really nice also. So um, that, that journey has just kind of led me right where I believe that I was intended to be.
0: I love that you said an educator can be multiple mm-hmm. roles, but also that education isn't just about being a teacher in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The name of this podcast, teaching and learning, and we've thought about that. We really have a very broad audience because so, we think education really belongs in a, in everyone's hands at some point in a child's life. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned having been in different size districts. So we're going to go down this road for a little bit and talk about some unique challenges that you have found being in a small school district compared to larger school districts in which you have been an administrator.
4: I think the the most prominent uh, thing that I can think of is the fact that there are limited human resources, human capital. In a larger district, you have a person for everything. You have an administrator for every department. You have people able to be just the expert in their field. In a smaller district, you have people wearing three or four expert hats. And if one piece is missing... It can be de- very detrimental to the, inf- the the total framework and operation of the organization. Um, so that's that's one of the the most blaring differences uh, and uniqueness about being in the small district. Another is the the tax base is often extremely different. In one district, I was at almost eight dollars per thousand um, in taxes. Here, we're at about and 73 cents. So that's a huge difference. You have just a different level of financial resources to to work with. Access to community organizations being rural with no transportation. That could also just lead to some other areas that you wouldn't necessarily have to deal with in a larger setting. Um, So those are those are probably my top three in addition to recruiting. With us being in the middle of the two expressways, there is no easy way to get to us. There really is right, no easy right. way.
3: Absolutely.
4: <laughs> so, you know, if I'm in if my district, if our district is in a lineup with um, some of the larger districts around us, they're probably gonna skip right over. Uh-huh. You know, because of stigma, because of distance, you know, just convenience. Um, And because of our tax base, they may actually think that we can't afford.
1: Right, right. And that's why we want to demythify some of this, because actually I went on and looked at some of the demographics and because your numbers have to be large enough to give you certain data, there's certain data that's missing. So I was intrigued. I want to talk to Ms. Thompson and Ms. Kiger. Tell us about the demographics in your rooms uh, with the teachers and in your classrooms and how do you see your students being affected by some of the challenges that Dr. Nicole just mentioned? I'll let you go first, Kiger.
2: My, my demographics in my room are about half Hispanic and half African-American. And honestly, they're not, like, they're little, so they, they're not really affected in their, in their school life because it, it is just part of their daily, their life. You know, it's not like they've, people have, you know, they've realized that they're far away from um, a bigger city or the big roads to get here and things like that. They really enjoy their rural life, their country life. In my classroom, there is a lot of kids, especially right now in the spring that they get, these kids get really, really excited about the new things going on in their life where they come in and they're like, this guy, guess what? I got 14 new chickens. And I got, I, you know, I have this, this, my, you know, my goat had a baby and they talk. And so that, that's their life here. So they're definitely, you know, we're surrounded by farms. We're surrounded by, you know, country fields and they, you know, and it's, it's great because they really have that slower pace that is enjoyable. Um, and so we work with that. We go out and we talk about nature and we can talk about, you know, we've taken field trips to, to local areas where they get to discuss how there's uniqueness here. There is a place out here that is a preserve. They have, you know, there's different trees and different, because it's all sand. And so they talk about how those plants are very different than plants you'll see in other places. Um, and we get to look at them and see them in, in like real life. And we get to, we're able to do that. Where, if you are in a bigger school or a bigger city, that all changes. You know, what right. they are allowed or what they're able to bring into their school life is very different than what we have, you know. And so, when we have, you know, when I have a student come in in the morning and talk about how he rode his four wheeler to school with his dad. And they, you know, stopped and and picked up a frog and they went fishing yesterday. Uh, You know, those are the kind of things that are really unique here. And Mm -hmm. and not just here, but in our whole area, really, because we are, we're we're rural down here. And so some of those bigger schools and some of those uh, bigger city schools settings can't do any of that. I don't feel like it really affects them negatively.
1: Right. So they're not disturbed by the politics. So, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the things that Dr. Nicole said that comes with being with a small Mm -hmm. District and being missed on so many different levels. What I hear is that the love and the attention and the quality that they get makes up for all of that. And they don't seem to be affected by those things. I know, Dr. Nicole, you're affected every day. Yeah, (laughs) we don't really, we make sure that we don't bring that into the classroom. They're shielded from that. I love that. Ms. Thompson, did you want to add anything?
3: I just want to say um, I'm a special education resource teacher, so my caseload is about 10. And uh, three-quarters of my caseload is African-American students. And then I have a Hispanic student as well. I just, I'm entertained. I, I am fascinated by the stories that they tell me about their um, farm life. Like, this, I'm like, wow, you know, oh, you're it's exciting out, to me. Are yeah, even my drive here. Yeah, <laughs> even my drive here. I'm like, wow. You know, just looking at the farmland and how I wish I, when I grew up, that I was exposed to things like that, you know, just seeing that, that it just amazes me. And so I am I feel like, hey, I've learned a lot, you know, working here with the students, you know, so.
2: You're not, you know, you're not a country teacher that you've had to stop on the road for the turkey to cross the road. Right. So, <laughs> truly, we've all had to stop and watch him just, okay, it's his right. turn.
3: Yes, yes, just the other day, Kyger and I, we, we uh, ride share sometimes. And on our way home, there was a peacock in the road. So I'm like, oh, what? Where so I was excited to see that. that wonderful.
0: <laughs> in addition to these opportunities, like being able to bring their home life, the farms and the natural resources into the classroom, could you say more about any other opportunities that are afforded you by being in a small district. I'm thinking about things like collaboration or or cross-grade or cross-content types of field trips or or opportunities or projects.
2: Um when we go, when we plan field trips, we plan, it's usually for me, because I'm second grade, it's usually pre-K through second grade. So we get to go, we're lucky enough to go with with all of us. Um, And so there are some things where we'll try to do together like tomorrow. So in my classroom, we have, we've done a unit on butterflies. So they've all come out. They're all ready to be released. Kindergarten, first and second grade will all go out tomorrow morning and we'll release the butterflies together. And then each classroom will do a little, you know, either a little storybook or a little life of a butterfly kind of thing in their classroom and things like that. So we are able to include the other grades and our other teachers in what we do and things like that, uh, Mm -hmm. where, you know, it might not be, we not, might not be able to do it with different grades. If we were a much larger, you know, if we had three or four for second grades, we wouldn't really have the capacity to, to bring other grades in with us. When I was a kindergarten teacher, I would do things. And now next year, I will have that group again. And so I already have those kids asking me like, are we going to do this? I see that you did this with your class. Are you going to do that with me? So if there's anything new that I do this year and they're sort of included, they're like, well, when we do this next year, so they have like, they have, they are definitely looking forward to things that they see Mm -hmm. that they do. And then, and, but they will also tell me, you didn't do this with us yet. Are you going to do this with us? And so they have great memories of like the things they want to do. And they have no problem telling me that I, ha- I still have to do it with them, even though they watch the butterflies. Next year, we still have to grow them.
4: The other thing I think is, is kind of awesome. Um, we had a couple of board members, well, all of our board members are grew up out here and were raised on the farms in some way. And so we have partnerships with some of the local farmers for different things. When they were talking about the nature preserve out here, there's an area called Black Oak Center that does have some indigenous trees and insects, which is amazing because they're nowhere in the rest of the United States of America. I think they said they have 150 unique insects that are that live in that area. So these are partnerships that are easy to take the children to and free of charge. And it's right here in their backyard. We've also been able to build forge relationships with the USDA, who is um, supporting our greenhouse. The mayor, frequent visitor of the district, again, because we're small. So he can even sometimes kind of assist in the in, in a partnership type way with um, getting us resources and access to um, additional either funds or, you know, whatever it is that he he took me on a tour when I first started around all of Pembroke Township and gave me the history, which was pretty exciting, actually. Everybody should do it. I thought it was amazing. very rich history.
0: So yeah, they have
4: a unique angle here.
0: Wow. I just want to point out that making all of this happen, having partnerships, going to nature reserves, incorporating the child's home environment, those are very complex, complicated, challenging tasks. I believe in our previous conversation, you're we talking about assumptions oh small town it'll be easier or you know simple it's a simple life what you're all talking about with this cross-grade collaboration and making things fit and going with the life cycle of a butterfly and having collaborations with farms in the local area those take time Mm -hmm. but they're so enriching. It's like if an educator wants to be involved and make a difference Mm -hmm. and really stretch themselves, Mm -hmm. this is the way to do
4: it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. A lot of times I believe what we have been trying to do is incorporate, um, since a lot of times people tie their schema or their experiences to learning, and that's how they're able to retain the information, we've looked at programs that will Take farming, for example, there's not just the planting of the seed or there's not just the raising of the animal, there are financial components to it, there are contract negotiation components to it. There may be some science involved in it. And, And so we've looked at all of those to tie it back so that the children can take it home and look at it from that standpoint. But that also builds the pride in the area, so that the area can continue to grow and replenish itself. I believe in the area. According to the Census Bureau, the average age is about fifty-two. That is one of our challenges that we're also facing.
1: Yeah. So I take that as as your students are graduating from high school, and some may be going to college that they may not be returning right. to that area. Talk about your equitable resources, you and uh, Dr. Amy were talking about that a few minutes ago and how do you get your fair share of the resources that you need for your population, including your teachers? And how do you get your teachers, how do you attract you know, highly qualified teachers to come to your district?
4: So from the equitable standpoint, I look at all different avenues, whether it is partnering for professional development, or seeking opportunities for people to come in and donate and donate their time, donate their resources, um, seek outside grants. We just completed a a grant yesterday with the federal government, utilizing uh, the collaborative relationships with the neighboring districts for articulation meetings. So it's, you know, we just look at different ways to best utilize what we do have access to. We do a lot of professional development internally so that it that cuts down on the cost. You know, when you're in a larger district, you use your Title One dollars. you spend $7,000 on a PD for a day, it's not a big deal. But to a, a staff of, you know, 12 instructional personnel, that's a huge deal. Um, so we can't always necessarily do that. But we've found that by actually explaining our situation to a lot of vendors makes them look at things a little bit differently and work with us in some way. And then we
1: were talking about teachers. I know it was a low recruiting, talking about teachers. How do you go about attracting highly qualified teachers to come to your district?
4: So we have to get out there because again, if we, if we put the, just put an advertisement out there, it may not gain the traction that we need. But I believe that one of the ways that we can benefit is from actually using relationships, the people that we either have worked with in the past, went to school with, uh, are in our area. We know, all of us know children that have come up through the system, have graduated from college now and interested in going into education. You know, building those relationships, that's one place. The second place is actually getting into the schools to introduce who we are and what we're about and talk about what it is um, that is unique about our setting and, and, you know, why they should consider visiting here. Getting people to visit, I've even done that, getting people to volunteer, that has assisted with attracting individuals. So there's a lot of word of mouth for for our district in order to get people to uh, join our team. And we actually started up a Grow Your Own program.
1: I was going to ask you about Grow Your Own. So consider us on your list as (laughs) your partner to help grow your own and to help attract highly qualified teachers. So consider us a partner. Thank you. Another thing we actually did earlier this uh, this year, we... uh,
4: partnered with Olivet Nazarene University. And what they did was um, hired or um, signed up students that were in the Department of Education, either uh, sophomores, juniors, or seniors in the Department of Education to tutor our students. So that got some of those students in the building and you can start having those conversations. Right then, And just, you know, that little bit of time here because they'll grow those relationships and we will continue to uh, foster and nurture that relationship. And
1: and that is what we found that works now. Someone emailed me just today. I used to publish this portfolio of all of our candidates that were graduating each semester and send it out to all the superintendents and they loved it. They gave the whole profile. And so I'm still getting emails saying, do you still do this? Do you still? No, I don't have to anymore, unfortunately or fortunately, (laughs) because they're all offered jobs before student teaching even ends. So you're right. It's about developing that relationship, getting them on campus when they're in their field experience and their clinical experience so that they can really adapt Mm -hmm. to the environment. You know, and say, I want to do my student teaching here, which then in terms become a higher. So this is for Ms. Thompson and Ms. Kiger. So many teachers discourage kids from teaching. And I think that is a big challenge in growing your own, that we're in our own way.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I want to hear some more unique experiences about what makes you unique. How do you all even want to work with partners such as universities or other partners? I just want to restate what you, the, the
3: first question you asked about what makes me unique as a teacher. Is that what, I just you want to can answer
1: that. Yes. Okay. You want, well,
3: I think it first starts with passion. You have to, yes. have, you know, <laughs> you don't have a passion for the students or for children. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So I have a love for them. I have a passion for them because I see myself in them as a child growing up. I, kn- I didn't know a lot of things. I knew I had to go to school to learn. So I had to, I had to want to learn. And I had to feel that, that passion that the teacher was giving. I had to feel that so that I know if I needed help, I can come to you without hesitation knowing that you will help me if I'm struggling in this area, or if it's something I want to learn, or if it's something I want to know about something that the teacher may not even be uh, may not be teaching, I'm comfortable to come to you so that you can help me with this. So it, it's, it's that's where that's where it all starts.
1: You know, we're going to have to do a whole segment with you on readiness to learn, because yeah. that is the key to learning, just being ready to learn. The other yeah. stuff can come later, you know, developing the skills, but being ready to learn. Definitely. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Ms. Kiger? She kind of answered it. You know, you have to have that. It's almost like a need to, to come and whatever passion you have, you try to give that to the kids so that they want, like you said, like she said, want to learn. In the morning, we do independent reading. So I have all levels of different kinds of reading. And so if you can get that passion or that pleasure of learning into them, Mm -hmm. then they'll see it as a different way to get that So where it's not just a textbook. It's not just, oh, I have to do this because it's my homework. I have Mm -hmm. to do this. So instead of having to do it, they start to want to do it and they start to want to go on to the next level and to see what else they can learn. So if you can find and harness what they're passionate about and you can make that into something that you can connect with what you're trying to give them, then they see it as now there's more knowledge that is is what I want rather than someone's making me do it. So mm-hmm. I think we've all kind of felt that like, oh, just, I've got to do this because it's what they're telling me I have to do. You know, we've all been in that one class you really didn't want to be in. So my job is to try to make whatever I'm giving them connect to what they want to learn. Because if you want to learn it, not only are you going to retain it better, but you're going to, you're going to pay more attention. You're going to be, you're you're going to get it faster, all of those things. So I always knew that, you know, if I could get them to want to learn, and that's half the battle. Let's see, that's the hard part is getting them to want to be there. Mm-hmm. I use all kinds of different things that the kids will say, Well, I'll do this, I, I want to do this because there's this incentive at the end, or, or you know, I'll bring in like the butterflies or frogs or whatever. We, you know, we had a frog jump into my room one day from a window and we held Ooh. it and we talked about it and. Boy, I could get anything I wanted if I had that frog in my hand. I all day long they listened to me as long as I had that frog. So you have to find what they're passionate about and make it make it relevant to them because then they'll learn it. Yeah, you
1: might get more than just uh, teachers. You might get some more students. You might get some more families that move. Yeah, absolutely. Here. Hopefully, all right. absolutely. if I could just say if I can just say
3: something else to, to what Ms. Kyger just said, I have a student that would come in and he would just try to give me the hardest time. You know, I don't wanna do this and I don't wanna do that. But I had to develop rapport with him where he knew that I cared and that I wanted what was best for him. I want, this is what you have to learn. I know you don't wanna learn it, but because I care, I want you to to know that this is what you need to do. It's not about whether you want to do it or not, it's what you need to do. And because I showed him that I care, you know, and, and that I was concerned and compassionate, he just received it, you know. So that makes all the difference as well. And I want to point out
0: that Miss Kiger, you know some of these students before they ever enter your classroom. I do. And half of the battle, that beginning of the school year that we trying to get to know students' names and build rapport and make right. lessons relevant. We can do that day one with several students because you've already had that interaction. You might even know their families. You mm-hmm. might have had an older sibling yep. and you already have part of that in place. So that can be really rewarding. It is One question I have, and as we begin to wrap up, Dr. Smith, what might a new educator expect entering into your district? What might be some supports or mentoring uh, in place that you can share with us today?
4: We are um, building a new mindset in the district. And so we are definitely looking to mentor and support all staff and really checking in. Um, I try to check in with staff on a regular you know, I walk through the halls just to see how they're doing. We're starting to uh, support the development of lesson plans. We're starting to support uh, by doing walkthroughs, not for evaluatory purposes, but just to help facilitate teaching strat- strategies or develop teaching strategies. Uh, we are going to uh, rebuild our PA- PLCs by grade bands because we only have one grade. One classroom per grade level, so we're going back to those grade bands. So a new teacher coming in should feel supported, even without all of that. The staff they they bond together. They truly are a family and support one another. Uh, the the principals are in there. I have a director of curriculum and instruction consultant who. Is very hands on in providing mentoring and then i'm going to partner them with one of these uh, experts that are already internal that know the systems and know what the expectations are to kind of help bring them aboard so they can definitely um, feel supported here.
0: I am excited to be a part of this conversation. I, I wanna move. Is there is there a place close, you know, in that community <laughs> that might be for sale? You can come
4: bunk and bourbon. Sounds, at least, I? Right. <laughs> and then Lisa this is this is a nice place to to truly visit. And when I um even though my husband was from out here, when we'd come visit, I was only on this main road. I never knew uh-huh. any other areas, and it was like, "Don't oh, stop at that gas station." And it's like, "Okay, I don't know why I'm not stopping, but I, you know, <laughs> I'm still not stopping." Like, now I'm hearing something completely different. Like I have a a completely different mindset about the environment. That that's one of the other challenges that we've had is that this area has a negative stigma upon it. So we have been partnering with the county sheriffs, the uh, working on our PR, working with our local representatives, working with our families and our teachers about the messages that we send out there. We've rebuilt our Facebook or social media uh, presence just to get out there that, Hey, we're here and we're growing and we're doing some things and you need to get on this train. Trust
1: me. That's good. I like that, you know, about the mindset and changing the mindset. So it sounds like all we have to do is get them there. That's it. They will stay like Miss Thomas and Miss Tiger. I think they are there to stay. So all we need to do is get them there. So we're happy to join you in partnership to help you grow your highly qualified teachers help you grow retention so you reach out to us anytime you need something
4: i absolutely will i think we've bugged you a couple times this this year so yeah and
1: we're looking forward to a visit so
2: please i'm so excited
1: an invite absolutely
4: absolutely we actually did our state of the district Uh, address last night and it was very well received by the community and for the first time we went we did Facebook live Um, so we're trying to get our message out I
1: know just because you're small you can still be very innovative absolutely absolutely okay well thank you all enjoy the rest of your day thank you for sharing your time with us and your experience thank you
4: I definitely appreciate you and Amy and and Dr. Joy we will definitely be in touch soon
0: Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. Visit our website at www.govst.edu slash teaching and learning podcast to see
1: the show notes from today's episode. We appreciate Governor State University's Center for Community Media for hosting our podcast and the work behind the scenes to make publishing possible. Stay tuned for more episodes of Teaching and Learning with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.